Hello, everyone. This is Giacomo from Squad Games. On this week's episode, we had an issue with Dakota's audio. However, we still wanted to bring you this interview. We hope you enjoy it. Guys, what costs yeah. about $250 comes in a box that can fit in an 18 by 12 by 6 and was released this weekend? The Leviathan? Yeah, that's correct. It's the Leviathan box set, guys. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say uh, something a lot worse. I was really worse. trying to... <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was trying to come up with something ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like... Uh, Schrodinger's cat, I don't know. I yeah, was involved like prison release or something. I could not get there. I could not get to the joke. <laughs> yeah. I was also uh, thinking something like that comes from like a really awful site or something like that, you know, that's... <laughs> made of silicone. I don't know where you're going oh, with okay, it, you know? Okay, okay. I don't know yeah. where you're going with that. Uh, that'd be quite a lot in an 18 by 12 by 6 box. <laughs> That's what I was saying, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, you won't have to worry about what's coming in uh, in any boxes anytime soon. This is the Squad Games Podcast. My name is Giacomo. I'm here with my host, uh, other host, Dakota. And we have a special guest today, Mr. Brent. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. Happy to have you and, on. Yeah, so Brent, I would first like to say that uh, so everyone knows this is Brent from Craft World Eldar. He has a blog spot and a YouTube channel. Both are fantastic. And mm. I listen to uh, his YouTube videos quite on the regular, especially me being an Eldar fan. And if you even if you hate the Eldar, it's a great source to figure mm. out how to beat them. Mm. <laughs> um, well, thanks. It's really great to be on. Yeah, for yeah. sure. E- even, if, even if you are using my website merely to defeat my precious space elves. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the... First thing I want to ask, uh, Brent, is what is your origin story? How did you get involved in 40K? Like, where did you first see models, et cetera? Yeah. No, it's um, so, like, it's, we go back to the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in sixth grade, and my friends and I are, like, the 90s version of the kids from Stranger Things. And there's this local nerd store that's a converted 19th century train station with the world's coolest basset hounds. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was, like... Peter Law. I wonder if you're still out there somewhere, Peter Law, who first bought a copy of White Dwarf, which we passed around the way other kids pass around other types of magazines, but we were big mm-hmm. nerds. <laughs> and uh, I, I, was a, I was a Tolkien nerd, and I was one of those Tolkien nerds who, when you're in middle school, thinks that like every epic film with an orchestral soundtrack was an insight into important universal meaning. So like, I was intimidated by the grimdark reality of 40K. I kind of thought maybe it would be cool if we got into fantasy, but everybody else wanted to buy Space Marines. And so eventually I gave in, but there was like no way that I was going to play the thing that other people were playing. So I, I remember still like standing in front of, in the back of Cave Comics, like the rack of blister packs with all the little metal models inside because children out there listening, that's how it used to be. And I bought this blister pack called Eldar Heroes, which contained a single ranger and a single storm guardian. Mm. Uh, and somehow, like about eight months later, we all had 2,000 point armies and we were playing three simultaneous 2,000 point games, which at the time in middle school struck me as a remarkable achievement for a bunch of middle school boys. I think I never thought we would actually play. Um, so I got in I got in, in middle school towards the end of second played in third and then I didn't come back until I was an adult in eighth edition. Okay. Okay. So you were one of the people who took a long break. 
Yeah, I was yeah. I was off for yeah a big chunk of my life for sure. What made you? I, I played some Necromunda and some Warhammer Fantasy. But. What made you uh, come back? Um. So. Okay, so I uh, I did a bunch of writing for this um, tabletop RPG called Clockwork Dominion, and we used to have a booth at uh, Gen Con. And I remember, and I did some writing for these like vampire LARPs and stuff, and I would occasionally like go to the GW section and gaze at the models, and I had a friend who would lead me away and pat me on the shoulder and say, that time in our lives is done. And then um, when 8th edition got started, uh, I, I got married, I moved to Vermont, there's not a lot going up here, mm-hmm. on up here. I, a, a local friend got into 40k and first we got into back into necromunda when necromunda was new and then like at the very beginning of eighth he like dragged me back in and uh i was like it i i say drag me back in it was an it was an easy sell i think i've like <laughs> been missing it for basically my whole life mm-hmm. uh um yeah and it was a splash of cold water because I, I don't know how long you guys have been playing but back in like second and third ed like competitive play really didn't exist if you played competitively you were a dick and uh <laughs> the game was really straightforward like a single wraith guard with its like infantry weapon could shoot a tank and have a 50 percent chance of just auto killing it regardless of wounds and stuff yeah, teleported it around awesome. the field <laughs> it was it was, it was like it was like somebody because games workshop was the first importer uh in the uk of dungeons and dragons and someone was like well dungeons and dragons is we all pretend to be the characters in the minds of moria what if you could pretend to be the generals like in the battle of the five armies or whatever and that's you got Warhammer fan. 40k becomes the setting but it was rogue trader first edition called for a game master like it was not a it was not a competitive tactical war game it yes. was it was role-playing mm-hmm. right and, and so i was shocked like my first game back in eighth ed i was like so excited i pl- it was pl- i played th- against thousand sons magnus the red was on the table and by second turn i had nothing left on the table it was like i was flabbergasted uh at a how competitive the game had become and, and how much everything had changed mm-hmm. and that's actually what led to the blog like i it was like a a steep uphill climb to um <laughs> figure everything out uh but it's been a lot of fun yeah i'm glad uh, you liked it i i remember um third edition that's when i started was the 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 beginning of third and it was there wasn't a lot of competitive play you just went to your local gaming store and then eventually like ard boys kind of started and then you kind of play in some ard boys tournaments everyone hated space marines including myself um Mm -hmm. they were always so good for so long um, people like to complain of how good Eldar were in seventh and the beginning of eighth and stuff. And what's funny is that they just they didn't start back then. You know, Space Marines were were really good in third and fourth, and uh, yeah, they you just built up a natural hate towards them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think that the competitiveness has really turned up. Just the more mainstream it's gotten, the more like. I think that it's become a little bit more competitive in the scene. Yeah, I think also GW started supporting competitive play somewhere in eighth ed. Like they used to sort of they used to sort of poo-poo it and like when people complain the game wasn't balanced, they would say, Well, you can't complain it's not balanced. It's not meant to be balanced. It's a it's it's a goofy game where you were a miniatures company and you move, you move your miniatures around the table and but so many people were playing the game like chess. Mm-hmm. Uh, like back in third, you're talking about like back in third ed, then just the notion of tournaments, like 
if you showed up with an optimized list, like certainly when I was a kid, it was like it was like you cheated building your D and D character, and all of your stats were in eighteen. Like people would look at you the same way. It was like what you don't. What are you doing? That's not what we're here for. And and I still think casual play is really fun. And it took me a little while to come around to the notion that because I, I like competitive tactical games, but the notion that you could play forty k like one, and th- th- that was like okay, that was an okay way to play the game. Uh, I, I didn't get on board with it immediately, but it's an awesome way to play the game. There, there, are, every way to play the game that people have fun is a great way to play the game. Now I heard from a lot of people that Elder weren't that good back in ninth. Uh, would you agree with that statement? You know, did they have their time to shine in eighth or? You know, then they lost it all in ninth. What do you think? I disagree. I think Eldar were good in ninth. I think Eldar were really bad throughout all of eighth. Uh, yeah, because like I think Eldar were fake good in the beginning of eighth because of Yanari Dark Reapers and then Flying mm-hmm. Circus when you mm-hmm. could run all the planes. Yep. But the, the vast majority of the models in the codex were not viable. But then in in ninth edition, I mean, if if you look at the if you look at the, the GT podium results, like Eldar were not an easy army to play, but they did all through ninth edition. They showed up on the podium a lot. Um, I really it was eighth edition where I felt like I was uh, dealt a, a raw hand. But you, you felt that way in ninth. Yeah, I think so because back in eighth you had all those lists with just a bunch of flyers and you could do insane amounts of damage. And then uh, towards ninth edition, they kind of lost a lot of that. Um, and um, I don't know, a lot of friends right. who played it and didn't really, really enjoy what changes had happened. Oh, I see what happened. You're talking about before we got our ninth ed codex. Yes. Yes. Oh, hardcore agree. Before we got the ninth ed codex, when we were playing ninth, we sucked. Yeah. No, when we got the ninth edition codex, we were really good. Um, no, there was one guy over in the UK, Mark Vickery. He was like doing okay somehow with Craft World Eldar with the Eighth Ed Codex and early Ninth Ed. But yeah, nobody wanted to touch them with a ten foot pole. They were terrible. Totally agree. I was thinking in terms of uh, the Ninth Ed book, but yeah, yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. Now, Brent, have you gotten to play a whole lot of this edition? And if you have, what do you think about Tenth? I I do like the new edition. I really do. And so. Uh, I like the new, new edition for like two or three reasons. One, um, I I love that every that there are data cards. I, I love that there are data cards. I wanted data cards when I started playing in eighth edition. I couldn't understand why they didn't exist then. I love that we've gone from sub faction bonuses to detachment bonuses. That's another thing. When I came in in eighth edition, I remember arguing with the friend who brought me back into the game, like you should just be able to choose like specialist detachment bonuses. Like I proposed that very idea, the notion that my army was painted a certain way and that handicapped me. was really frustrating. I like that they've cut it down to six stratagems. And I think that the, the streamlining of the game has made it way easier to sell other people on playing, to introduce somebody to the game. Uh, it's possible to figure out how to play now without being somebody who's been in for multiple editions and who gradually follows the releases online. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do think it's weird that if you click on the GW landing page, like Explore Our Games, Warhammer 40,000, that instead of giving you the Munitorium Field Manual, the core rules, and the links to all the data sheets, they just spam you with banner ads to buy the Leviathan box, and you still have no idea as a new player where to find the rules. So they've put them all in one place, the Warhammer community site, but like the marketing department has been like, no, but if you click on the thing, we will try to sell you things. We will not give you the rules. But I think overall, like it is, 
a, a, so much forward progress. Like so many of the things that people who didn't play 40K didn't like about 40K have been fixed. And as somebody who wasn't really suffering, I didn't think from that stuff. It turns out like I was. I, I love the streamlining of the game. I don't think that it's been overly simplified. Not, not crazy about the loss of the psychic phase. Hate uh, like not being able to choose how many models are in a unit. Um, don't like that. A little ambivalent about the war gear change, but for the most part, I think they're killing it with 10th. I really do. Yeah, and that might just be an issue with the lack of them not having codexes released yet, because I'm on the same page. I, I built squads to be immune from Blast in 8th and 9th edition, but regardless, if you take even more than the minimum size, you pay for the whole squad regardless. Right. So I don't have all the models, so I, I just have to take a disadvantage right, right now. But, Which is, uh, that's such crap, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like it. And you can't even evenly subdivide it. You get like a weird number, like 1994 right. or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's all right. Yeah, it's something, they, they ported it over from Sigmar. They, they brought a bunch of stuff over from Sigmar, which like, Sigmar is a simpler game. Uh, so I don't, I don't think, unless the, there's a lot of outcry from the community, I doubt they plan to change it, but I would, I would be excited to at least be able to decide how many models are in my squads. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on the faction rules that Eldar currently have? Uh, well, I think there's no doubt that um, currently the faction rules for Eldar are too good. I think they're too good. The uh, I, My last game, I, I played a game of 10th over the weekend, mm-hmm. and I, I showed up and I just volunteered, like, let's, let's, count, let's count fate dice as modified dice um, and see how that goes. Uh, and I, I still tabled my opponent at the top of turn three. It wasn't like a problem. I, I think, um, but I got into this debate on the Facebook forum for, uh, craft world Eldar, uh, the, like, I, I think it was the, I don't know. I'm in a bunch of these things. I think it was the one for art of war. And I've, I've been sort of persuaded that the, the probably the solution is not to count them as unmodified, dice but to give you way fewer of them like we definitely shouldn't start with 12 I, th- I think that if you if you could only use one per unit per phase so like i have to decide am i gonna am i gonna auto do mortal wounds or am i gonna max out the number of wounds that i do if you could only do one per unit per phase and you started with half as many um and you because you could still take eldar to eldred to get two more you could still auto gen them with your guardians I think that would be fine. We also have a really powerful detachment ability. Um, but I do think starting people with 12 of them uh, is... Because, I mean, think of it this way. Like, let's even imagine that you couldn't count them as um, unmodified. Mm-hmm. Imagine that my army sub-faction bonus is uh, twofold. One, I get to reroll one hit and one ruined with every unit. And also I get to pick a unit like in the avatar of Kane and succeed with his, with any 10 saving throws that I want. Um, that's crazy. That, that is a, cr- on top of being able to make a minus one to wound and everything else. It's, it's too much. So I, I think they need to rein Eldar in, but my fear, my terrible, terrible fear is that we will get the old GW double nerf where they make a bunch of stuff worse and and they massively increase the points um, to cover themselves. That's what's happened in the past. And what you end up with is a whole bunch of unplayable units and a book in which only certain things are good. And they've worked really hard, I think, with most factions to try to avoid that in this edition. Mm-hmm. So I just hope that they don't, I, I really hope that they don't overcorrect. I hope that it's 
It is a calculated decision. Um, just, just real quick. Can you go ahead and explain what the faction ability is to those who don't play Warhammer and how the ability and this strategy works in their favor to the point where it's really strong? Oh, sorry, guys. Yes. So here's the situation. Uh, currently, the Eldar faction ability is something called Strands of Fate. At the beginning of the game, you roll 12 dice. And uh, theoretically, you can re-roll them and then have fewer dice, and nobody's going to do that. You, ro- you roll 12 dice, and those 12 rolls can then be substituted at any time for a hit roll, a wound roll, a charge roll, battle shock test, and so on. Pretty much all of the rolls, a damage roll with very few exceptions. Um, in and of itself, that's not crazy, except it, it synergizes with a lot of other stuff in weird ways. So um, also, if you have a Farseer model, uh, on both your turn and your opponent's turn, you can, within 12 inches of a unit, that unit can treat any die as a six. And what this ends up meaning functionally is that all of your ones that you roll are probably going to be treated as sixes and a lot of your twos too. So you end up with a lot of sixes with this. And it synergizes in weird ways with other rules in the game. So uh, there's a rule called sustained hits, such that all of your sixes to hit with certain weapons generate additional hits so like Mm -hmm. the avatar's wailing doom weapon which it's incredibly hard he only gets one shot with it because he's a melee character but it has sustained hits d3 so if you have either a nearby farseer or a fate die of a six you can automatically do like automatically hit and do one plus d3 hits with this incredibly powerful weapon that does a crap loot of damage and then there's another weapon ability called devastating wounds when you when you score a critical wound uh you do mortal wounds. So there's no armor save allowed, no invulnerable saves, no armor save. And the other good thing about mortal wounds is that they work against anything. So if, for example, you have like a a D cannon, which is this Eldar, crazy Eldar super tech weapon that like teleports you into the warp and kills you. And so if you get shot with a D cannon, an Eldar player can use a D6 on a fate die to automatically roll a six to wound, which means instead of taking D6 plus two damage, you take D6 plus two mortal wounds, but then I could spend another fate die to make it eight mortal wounds. So I can automatically do eight mortal wounds to your tank, or if it's an infantry squad, I can do eight mortal wounds and it just bleeds over. So like now the D cannon, which shouldn't be good against infantry, just picks up eight guys and it fires D3 times. So that's just one of its shots, right? It's crazy. And the other thing, it's Overwatch too, right? Overwatch only hits on sixes. I can put a... I can put a fire prism in the middle of the table and be like anybody because now you can trigger overwatch at the end of a movement phase or at the beginning of the charge phase. Uh-huh. So I move a fire prism to the b- b- middle of the table. And if you finish a move with any unit within 24 inches of me, I can shoot you with an, a lance that will automatically hit you. Cause I can declare that it is a six. So it just gives you, it gives you crazy leverage. Narratively, it makes sense. Like the farseers have looked into the future and they, they know what will happen. And so you're like cheating the dice and it would be cool if you could do it a little bit, but giving you 12 dice and, and the ability to generate more and the ability to manip- manipulate them is, it becomes insane. Yeah, that's quite powerful. It was the issue that Votan had at the end of ninth before they got changed. Very similar. Right. Yeah, very similar. Do you think that maybe changing the way the Farseer's ability to manipulate dice would be a solution to their current predicament? 
I don't. What, so what I found is that it's actually hard because far. So here's here's the flip side of this. Farseers are pretty easy to kill. I think also people will figure out how to play into Eldar. There's no more lookout sir in the game. Which for those of you who are not normally 40k players, your characters, uh, unless they have this ability called Lone Operative, are not untargetable. Um, they if they're running around with a unit, the models in the unit have to die first. But Farseers can only run with your most fragile infantry, and those squads max out at ten. So an, an opponent who makes a concerted effort to kill a Farseer can pick it up. At the very least, you can keep the Farseers from getting into places on the board that are like in the midfield where you could really be using the Fate Dice aggressively. It's so easy to kill characters, unless they're totally out of line of sight. So I, I haven't found myself able to get my Farseers where they really need to be in like the midfield, but uh-huh. um, I think if you could re-roll, like if the far, instead of auto-succeeding uh, sixes, I think the Farseer should probably let you re-roll two dice. Pick up two dice and re-roll them. Um, I think that would be okay. I also think there's an, there's also an issue here just with saving throws, which is that if you give people 12 dice, so many things have like a four-up invuln. Some stuff has a three-up invuln. And if you can... It's a pretty powerful faction ability to be like, your detachment power is every unit. Every unit can re-roll one hit roll and one wound roll per turn. And... Over the course of the game, you automatically succeed on 12 invulnerable saving throws. That's also really good. <laughs> so I, I kind of think maybe you reduce the number of dice. Um, I'm not that worried about the Farseer part of it, really. It's it's like, if it were in combination with fewer dice, like I, I would be okay if, if they started me with like five of them, but there were some ways to generate more. But th- those guardian defenders sitting on a, on a, there's so much indirect fire in the game. You can kill those things. You can kill the farseer. It's, but twelve dice is so many dice. Now, generally, GW tends to take good things from other games and put them into this edition. So, like for example, um, we had some Age of Sigmar stuff. I think we mentioned it a little earlier on how the way you just take units now and the way they do their data cards with weapons and stuff is very similar to how the newest edition of Kill Team does it for their guys. Which, speaking of which, uh, if you would also like to answer, what do you think about Kill Team and Eldar and Kill Team? Because generally we are a skirmish game podcast that likes to touch up on other war games too. But for the most part, I think Kill Team's a really well-designed game. Uh, I think it's one of the better, tighter games that they've put out. And um, the only reason that I don't play it is that I, I have, I only have so much time to play games. You know, I'm, I'm, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and so you know, you know, this is. Yeah, both you and Dakota are pretty busy when it comes to the kids too. You know. Uh, yep. Now, what are your thoughts on the way you set up missions in this edition? Personally, I love them because it reminds me of the, um, there was these cards that released in 8th edition that lets you play that way. And I really like the way it works now. Um, so this, this is going to sound kind of weird because initially I hated it. I'm really coming around to uh, the mission cards, uh, particularly the the secondaries. So for those of you who aren't 40K players, um, the way 10th edition works now is in order to figure out what you're doing, there are these decks of cards. The first card you flip over gives you your map. This is where the deployment zones are. This is where the objective is. The next card you flip over modifies it in some freaky way, like it moves the markers around or it introduces some special rule. And then the third card that you flip over tells you how you score primaries with reference to those objectives. But then there's this deck of secondary missions, which um, make up almost half of the points that you can score. 
and you keep drawing these things and, and having to constantly change what you're, you're doing, what your objectives are. You don't know what cards you're going to draw in what order. And that's cool. Um, it, it means that people have to build balanced, flexible lists or they have to play to table their opponent because that's another way you can win. But you, you have to build a balanced, flexible list that can do all of the things. I think that's really cool. And, and you can choose two of these cards, two of these secondary missions and just say like every turn I'm going to do these things. But in order to max out your score, in order to score like a tournament score, you have to succeed on both of them pretty much every turn and they're not easy. Um so I think they've done a really good job of preventing people from coming into the game, because this was definitely a thing you could do in both 8th and ninth, and be like, this is how I'm getting to 100 points. I have a plan. You cannot stop me. Right. Like There was a period of time where Necron players like always scored 100 points if you didn't table them by turn 3. And that you can't do that anymore. I think that's, that's really cool. They tried to do it in the last edition for narrative games or casual games with this thing called Tempests of War, which I freaking hated. And weirdly, I hated Tempests of War. I know a lot of people loved it. That's like heresy. But I hated Tempests of War for reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the new secondary system. I think it's it's a fun way to play 40K. Yeah, I enjoy the mission rules that come in. You know, uh, I was a fan of Legion in the beginning, and Legion has the same thing in its map design, where you might flip a condition, and then that affects the way you play your game. And it also kind of brings it back to be a little more narrative, but not exactly narrative enough. So, you know, right. it, it fits the bill enough for me. But anyways, are there any tournaments that you're looking forward to going to? Oh, yeah. Um, so I play a lot of like, I play a lot of store tournaments in northern New England. We, we actually have a robust, it's weird because Vermont is like the middle of nowhere, but there are, uh, within, within an hour, I have four or five different stores that, that have tournaments. We probably have a tournament scene of like, if you consider all of those, well over 100 players. And we have some really good people, weirdly. Um, as far as like the, the big stuff, like GTs or majors, I'm going to hit, um, I'm going to try to get to Salt City this year, which is in Syracuse, New York. That's like in July. Um, I'm going to try to hit a GT uh, in the early fall. I haven't picked one. I definitely am going to do um, Neverwinter, uh, the Winter Assault and Neverwinter, which is the only like ITC major in New England. It's in Boston. Um, it is a little, with again, with two kids, it's tricky. And where I live, just the way things shake out, you, I pretty much have to get on a plane or drive for a full day to get to most stuff. There are a lot of 40K players in New England. I don't understand why we don't have a GT tournament scene, but we, we really don't. It's actually like easier. For, it would be easier for me to go play a tournament in London or just as easy as it would be to like go to LVO or something. So it's crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's like a 40K dead zone. Um, oh. For Sigmar too, like what my neighbor is... Uh, I don't know if we have any Sigmar players listening, but my neighbor is Noah Singh. He like won LVO. Like we, um, he's, he's one of the best Sigmar players in the world. And there, but there are no local tournaments. Like there, there are a lot of people here who are good, who are good players. We, I, I don't know what's going on, but it's a thing. I have to assume he's getting pretty good and playing a lot of TTS as well, right? Yeah, we're tra- like our local store is trying to get. Um, we've got there's a new local store. We're gonna we're, we're just gradually moving towards hopefully doing a GT maybe next year. Um, mm-hmm. But like I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be that guy, right? It's just, just keeping up with the content creation is enough. And um, it, so here's, here's my, here's my thing for the big tournaments. I, I freaking love 40 K. I love competitive 40 K. Um, but in order for me to want to go to a multi-day 
tournament, like it's got to, it's got to a be in a self-contained location and B it has to have a good social scene because I want to, I want to like, you know, hang out in the hotel bar or whatever and talk to other 40 K players in the evening. If I'm going to give up one of my precious kid free weekends to do this, it, you know, it's easy to go do a, a store tournament that's you leave in the morning, you come back in the evening. But if I'm going to go away essentially for four days, like travel on Friday and Monday and play on Saturday and Sunday, right? there's got to be. That almost guarantee that you're going to get a few games in and have a good time with the people around you. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, we're all just nerds playing with plastic, but we want to be able to share that enjoyment of playing with plastic with others. Right. So got to make sure it goes out all the way. And that's, that's one of the few reasons I really like the big tournaments. You know, maybe we'll get to see you at the the biggest one in LVO, right? I was I wanted to try to get to it last year, but it's just like I had some crazy stuff in my. It's far. Also, I had a I had a. Do you, do you remember that bit? I don't know how much you know about Eldar, uh, like lore, but like at one point, Vol gets like chained to his own forge and forced to make a hundred swords and like tortured, and that's kind of like what my last eight months has been like. So it's it's been a bad year for tournaments for me. Um, but the one, there's one that they started like two years ago down in like North Carolina, like in the mountains. It's like the Smoky Mountain open or the Rocky Mountain. Oh, yeah, but yeah, Noah, yeah. yeah I, it's supposed to be like the coolest venue and like a great, but I need, I need for there to be that, like, I need for there to be a social scene. That That's it. So I appreciate the recommendations. Those are great. Now, what makes a good game of 40K for you? So I, okay. So here's, here's my, here's my list. I need to um, I need to play well enough that I don't that I don't feel like I let myself. I didn't really mind this before I had kids, but like now I want to play well enough that I feel like I, I didn't let myself down in some way. Um, so generally, I want to win more than half my games. I don't have to I don't have to be on the podium, but I want to win more than half my games, and then it's fine if I don't. But like what I uh, what I really look for in each match is some reason to like my opponent. Do you see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. if somebody shows up with a beautiful army, but it's not competitive and they're maybe not a great player, I have a great time because like I get to admire their army and talk to them about their army. And if somebody shows up and they're like really freaking good, it's really fun to play the mental chess game and I and I have a great time. And if somebody shows up and they're just a really fun person to play against and there's good banter at the table and they're super reasonable and I never feel like I want to challenge them on anything and they're really reasonable. I have a really good time. I just need my opponent to, to be at any, any, any of those things and, and not be a dick. And I'm happy. I have a great time. I have played very few. I know that like there's this 40 K I think among people who don't play or played back in the day has a reputation for being kind of toxic. And I believe the stories people tell me, I feel like maybe back in sixth and seventh, it was, uh-huh. but I have just in years since I got back into the game, I have played one toxic tournament game ever. Um, and it, it was at a GT like last summer. Uh, I had a really good experience. I, th- I think the community, I think it's a great community. I think people are a lot of fun. And, and I think that a lot of the stereotypes are, are no longer fair if they ever were. Now, what are your thoughts on the recent Eldar bannings and restrictions that certain tournaments have been putting on the army? So... Uh, I don't, I don't know, man. So initially I think I went through exactly the same emotional arc that you did. Like at first I I looked at what Germany was doing and I was like, well, I understand where you're coming from guys, but at the same time, we don't really know. We haven't seen how it plays out on the table. There's all kinds of things, things people are not, people do not have not yet grasped how easy it is to kill characters. They have not yet grasped what battle shock means for the game, right? There's all sorts of stuff we don't have our head around. So 
I need to, I love it. It's one of my favorite things about the new 40K. So A, I don't think we really get it yet. But at the same time, people don't people don't want to play a game that's that's predetermined. Um, but at the same time, GW relies on the tournament data. I get that argument. But here's 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 the thing that frustrates me. And I, I am a very I'm a very Warhammer and GW positive content creator, I feel like GW makes a game that I love. Um, how how much how much can I really complain you know i but i do i do think and i say this with love games workshop because i do love you but with such resources like gw has crazy resources i there are sometimes disconnects that i don't understand and back in with after all of the leaks in ninth edition they stopped play testing stuff in the wild um which i think is now coming back to to bite them like they weren't they weren't using playtesters outside of GW in the same way that they that they used to. That's like public knowledge. And so I think that there are weird imbalances in 10th edition that didn't have to be there. And I understand about not wanting the leaks, but I just assumed before 10th edition came out that people uh, who are like top tournament players or like the Goonhammer team, the Goonhammer team is so responsible about um, not making claims that overstate the evidence. I just assumed that a bunch of these people got like secret invitations to fly over all expenses paid to hang out at Warhammer world for a couple weeks, look at the rules, not walk out with them. Nothing that you could necessarily leak sign up, sign a bunch of NDAs. Cause it, it wouldn't have taken, it wouldn't have taken much to have a bunch of competitive players who are skilled, look at the rules and be like, ah, no, because before we even played games of 10th edition, you know, we looked at some of this stuff and, and knew that there were like Admech. Admech is terrible. Craft worlds are too good. Like it's obvious, and I don't. I fundamentally don't understand how we got here. Also, I don't know if you've looked at the. Um, they dropped the Forge World points and and sheets. It's it seems so obvious to me that the person who designed the Forge World character or data cards is not the person who designed the data cards in the Codex. I would be completely shocked if. It's a, just a completely different philosophy towards the design, a completely different notion of power level. Um, and so I feel like it didn't have to be this way. And and I'm a little bit frustrated about that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that's where I am. Now, uh, real quick, if we could just kind of backtrack a little bit, are you looking forward to, or would you be excited if either striking scorpions or exodites came to kill team? Is there really a question? I mean, <laughs> I have wanted I have wanted elves to ride on dinosaurs since they gave me rules in second edition for elves riding on dinosaurs. Like the second edition codex had all sorts of rules for units that didn't exist, including pirates, which we have now, right? And the last thing that they that they promised us in second ed that we still haven't gotten is the is the dino riders. So I want the dino riders. Now, what craft world do you tend to yeah. gravitate towards? So, yeah, okay. I'm an I'm an Ibrisol player, oh, uh, is which too. is like this matriarchal craft world. Oh, really? Okay. See, I would I would like to say that I'm an Ibrisol player because I fell in love with the lore, and then I chose the craft world. But actually, when I got back in at, at the beginning of eighth, um, I bought this like I bought a small eBay lot online that was like ten guardians, a wave serpent, and some jet bikes, and and that's what it was. And it was painted in this color scheme that was was very beautiful. It was created by Striking Scorpion eighty two, who's a YouTube content creator. He used to be all Eldar, and now he got smart so he can make more money. But um, like 
it was gorgeous. And, and so I just, I loved the scheme and then I got into the, the lore and then I just went deep because they, I mean, they're, 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 we know almost nothing about them. There's like six sentences about Ibrisol and every single one of those sentences is so cool. I built a Crone world board. Like, so for those of you who aren't Eldar players, the Crone worlds uh, in, in the eye of terror, when, um, when the Eldar broke the universe uh, by leading a rock and roll lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and created a new chaos god, the the afterbirth of the chaos god right, created this stain on reality, which is this place where warp space bleeds into real space. And, and, and it's exactly the area of the galaxy that used to be the old Eldari Empire. And now it's this like demon haunted darkness of unstable reality. And the Eldar have to like launch missions there to recover relics and the crone worlds are these like hellscapes that are the old eldar capital worlds and so i built a i built a crone world board like i'm all in on imbersal now is there any special characters or certain aspect warriors that you're drawn to oh yeah so this is this is going to be maybe an unpopular answer i i uh Something what I find fascinating about the Eldar is that I think more so than any other faction in the game, their each of their units just by existing on the table tells an interesting story. Like Aspect Warriors are so they're so cool, and each of them each of them has a vibe, has a thing. I love the whole concept of the Avatar of Cain and the Court of the Young King. And there's this like for those of you who don't play Eldar, this incredibly creepy and pretty horrific and bizarre alien blood sacrifice that goes into waking this thing up. Um, so anytime you look at the avatar of Cain on the table, like that's, that's an exarch who died the most terrible possible death. And nobody knows what will happen to him after the battle is over or her. Uh, so I think everybody loves wraiths. They're interesting guardians. Like they're citizens. That, like, those, those guys are like poets and stone cutters and they're out here fighting the tyrannids. Like that's crazy. And they feel things more deeply than other people. So it must be extra terrifying. I every single unit that's a regular unit tells an interesting story. Here's my unpopular thing. I kind of feel like in the, all of the Eldar named characters in the lore, to some degree, are two-dimensional anime heroes, except <laughs> for Eldred. El- Eldred, and I don't want them to be. I want them to be... Um, I so like I make up little stories about my own because we all do that, right? Because right. we're big nerds who used to who played with action figures longer than other people. But mm-hmm. I have little stories about my craft world and my own models and my own characters. But like. Th- the, to me, like the Phoenix Lords, they're cool. Love the models, love them conceptually, but they're all kind of two dimensional because they're all different people over time too, right? Like the Phoenix Lord dies, someone else puts the armor on. Um, Illic Nightspear, it's like two dimensional archetypal sniper. Uh, Prince Uriel, like elven anime heartthrob. Teenage elf girls everywhere have posters on their walls. Like just read the first sentence of Valdor, which is like. And he jumped off the cliff and did a triple spin and landed in a goth pose with his sword doing goth things and his hair flickered in the wind. Like, I can't, I, I don't, and I, I'm frustrated too, because this, somehow the Space Marine Primarchs, who are all testosterone vending machine necklace space knights, like they shouldn't have any personality. <laughs> but somehow the Space Marine Primarchs and the lore all become these like very interesting, complicated, except for Angren. He's just angry. He's uh, like strong mad. But like, they're so <laughs> curious and like fascinating and complicated and real. And they're both like Homeric and larger than life, but also like I identify with them. And I feel like they just haven't gotten there with the lore, the lore for the named 
Eldar characters. So I don't, I'm, I'm not in, in love with anybody. I'll, if, if I had to pick one, I'd say the Yenkarn because it's so cool on the table. It's a very cool model. I will agree with that. On a, on a side note thing about your YouTube channel, how do you go making episodes? You know, where'd you really start? When I got started with it, I already had the blog. And so I had an audience for the blog and the videos were going to be this addendum where I talk about things that don't article well. And just for time reasons, I wasn't scripting anything. I have found since that for certain topics, I will script the whole video and I'll spend a lot of time on it. Like I did an origins of 40 K video recently where I scripted the whole thing for other topics. Uh, if for example, there's a GW release and in order to be relevant, I have to talk about it for an hour within three days. That's not getting scripted. I'll make myself some notes. Uh, for the most part, it's been good when the channel was new, a lot of people, I, I would get every time I put out a video, there'd be a whole, there'd be a bunch of positive responses. And then I would get some hate mail from people who were mad about something that I said, or, uh, this was also back in eighth when elves were not good. And there were some elf players who were just so sad that elves were bad that if I was elf positive in a video, it like triggered them and made them angry. And I got like elf mean girl notes, but as the channel has grown and, accumulated an audience people are a, a little bit less likely to just kind of like be a jerk but uh for the most part the community has been really supportive people are excited to have faction specific content i've really enjoyed it what, what i've enjoyed most is how receptive other content creators are to collaboration i don't have a ton of guests but almost every person that i've ever reached out to has said yes. And the people who are really, who are really big always do like Nick Nanavati came on right away. Bradchester came on right away. Scary was my first guest. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes people who have like the people who will sometimes be a little bit like too cool for school and like uh, not right back right away and then be standoffish and be like, well, I'll have to check my schedule are the people who have won one GT with an interesting list. Um, and it's like, you don't have to, you don't have to like, <laughs> You don't have to pretend you're very important. I, I think you're really cool. You did this cool thing. It's like, we're good. Um, but for the most part, uh, I think people who love 40K and make content for 40K are really eager to support one another, um, regardless of how many followers you know you have on your channel, which I, I think is awesome. And that's been really gratifying. And I think 98% of the 40K community, despite the old reputation, is just a bunch of really cool like fun adult nerds who all remember what it was like to be serious candidates for swirlies in middle school. And like now we're, you know, having a good time. So it's, it's been really positive for sure. Can you tell me a little more about your blog and website and how that sort of started and what you think about it now? Yeah. My website is like my great source of guilt and shame now uh, because I started with all written content and that honestly, I, uh, there's plenty of 40 K channels I follow, but my favorite way to con to, consume 40k content like the lore stuff i want videos like i'll listen to luton while i paint or whatever but my favorite 40k tactical content is content you can read which is why i love goonhammer and that's where i started and um the truth is that my blog has been taking a backseat to the channel since i had the kids because mm. it's, it's hard it's hard to do both and it's for the simple reason that when i make a video like i get 100 comments and thousands of views and people send me emails and when i write a blog post Nobody leaves a comment. I look at the I look at the stats and I see that they're pretty good. They're not as good as the videos, but they're pretty good. 
but like, it just doesn't, it doesn't generate the community engagement or the responses. And, but I, I, but as somebody who loves that kind of content, I do, I feel guilty that I haven't, um, I haven't kept up with it. Like I don't have a, a new how to play Eldar guide since we got the 10th edition rules. I will do one this summer. Uh, I love the blog. It is because I am not a content creator for whom this is a job. You know, it's one thing if you're the art of war guys or, or if you're Luton or somebody for whom this is their, their full-time gig and it isn't for me. And so I, you know, I can't create as much content for the blog as I would like, but I, but I love the blog. You know, I like that format of making stuff. Yeah, honestly, reading is pretty fun. And that's where I started with like 1D4 chain and other different tactical websites that put stuff on. Um, but on that note, I think we're coming to the end of this. Brent, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your insight on the Eldar and 10th edition. And now, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Yeah, no, it, it's my pleasure. It's shameless self-promotion because I'm not sure we've said it. It's uh, www.craftworld.com if you're looking craftworldldr.com. Whoa, don't even know my own website. There we go. There you go. Woof. Yeah. It'll be in the link. Like the link will be Thank in the show goodness. notes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks guys. This was great. I I had a blast. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Is there any uh, last words of wisdom you want to say? Uh I so my here's here's my my one thing. Um I would love it if we all as a community could like limit the hysteria about the changes in 10th edition. Um I think 10th edition is going to be really cool. Uh, I think the game is still awesome. And I, uh, I am, I am heartened by people not getting on board with um, some of the negativity that's been, that's been floating around online because in the past things have worked out, you know, it's been, we're still playing the game. A good point. A good point. And with that, I'd like to throw in a couple of my own plugs Feel free to follow us on Discord. We are on the Squad Games Discord where you can talk to Dakota and myself. We're pretty active over there. You know, we like to post a bunch of stuff all the time because we have nothing else to do with our time. And you can follow me on Instagram at wargaming underscore studios. Again, that's on Instagram at wargaming underscore studios. That's where I do a bunch of painting, uh, a lot more painting than I do playing. I'd like to thank all of our patrons who help support our channel. It really means a lot to me that they're out there helping us out and it makes it easier to make these episodes. And finally, if you're looking for any products or tickets to events, feel free to look at our affiliate link for our Frontline Gaming down in the show notes. Until next time, guys. See you.